Um, let me pray for us again, and then we'll get into this passage this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for Molly. Uh, oh, what a gift. We perfect baby. Thank you that you brought her here safely. You answered our prayers. We were praying for that just last week. Um, and you, you protected Lauren uh, and Molly through all of that. Um, Father, I pray that they would just know your peace in that house and know the joy of new life. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living, that it's active, that it's true, that it's that it's uh, reliable. Thank you that you are speaking to us, your people, this morning. Uh, Lord, we just want to hear. Give us ears to hear your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, illuminate this passage. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. We want to follow you. We want to love you. We want to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, I was going to start by asking uh, if any of us are tired this morning. And I'm like, Travis, are you tired this morning? Um, are any of you tired? Uh, do you feel weary, maybe? Uh, maybe you feel like life never stops. You feel like uh, kind of life is out of control. And I wonder if we went round the room this morning and we were all honest with each other, how many of us would honestly feel like we need a rest? I know I do. And my guess is that it would be probably pretty much all of us would say, yes, I'm tired. Yes, I need a rest. I need a break. Um, I don't know about you, but no matter how much I feel like I need a rest, I find it really hard to take time off. Um, I usually try to take Mondays off, but when I do, I don't know how to do nothing very well. Um, I always feel like I have to try and fill my time with something productive. I have to be doing something. Um, and if someone asks me, well, what do you like to do to relax? I have no problem telling them what I like to do to relax, but that's very different from actually doing those things. And maybe you're the same, and, and, and even if you're not, I think it's pretty clear that we live in a performance-driven society, right? For most people, uh, their job is their main identity. If you think about when you first meet somebody, what's the first question somebody will ask you? Apart from what's your name, it's usually, well, what do you do? And what they mean is, what's the main identifying thing about you? And it's usually your job. It's usually what you put your, your work efforts into. And I think that's a real symptom of a culture that places a lot of emphasis on work and productivity and performance. And what this leads us to is a system in which you can, you can take a lot of pride in how hard you work, in the level of success you find in your career. But then on the other hand, if you don't have that, there can be a lot of shame around being out of work for whatever reason, not having a career. Maybe you've chosen to be at home with your kids over having a career or, or whatever it may be. Work and productivity, um, for a lot of us, forms our identity, and, 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 and therefore it's the source of our greatest pride or our greatest shame. Well, I'm not really in the job I want to be. I'm not, I, I'm not really where I want to be. Or you never stop working because you find all your identity in that. And just like with every aspect of the culture, we the church are not immune to it, right? We kind of absorb these things and, and, and unfortunately it shapes how, how we the church are. And so not only as Christians are we plagued with the same notions of, of performance-based identity, this idea has almost become part and parcel of how we consider and think about our relationship with Jesus. We think about things like, how can I be used by God? <laughs> How can I be used by God? Or, or identity in Jesus can be shaped by things like our position in church. Well, uh, well I need to, to be a leader to be useful or to be valued. I want to have a platform. Or, or even we think about our salvation in terms of, of what we do. Well, God might not be very pleased with me this week because I wasn't a very good Christian. 
Am I performing well as a, as a Christian should do? Am I doing all the things that a Christian should do? Otherwise, maybe I'm not really saved or maybe God isn't very pleased with me. And yet, it's exactly this kind of thinking that Jesus directly challenges in this passage today. I think this is the opposite of how Jesus wants us to think. Jesus has come to give us rest. I don't know if we ever consider that much. Jesus has come to give us rest. And he himself is that rest. He's come to give us a life that's free from the need to perform and produce. But instead, a life that will produce because it is rooted in the true rest we find in Christ. So let me ask you again. Do you feel tired? Are you in need of a rest? Now, in order to grasp what Jesus is teaching in this passage, um, it's a passage about Sabbath, two different Sabbath days. In order to grasp what's going on, I think we, we need to understand the idea of Sabbath as it was under the Old Covenant. Sabbath was a period uh, every week between Friday evening and, and Saturday evening when all normal work ceased, okay? It was primarily a time of rest. And this 24-hour rest period was was a command that was given in the law of Moses. Uh, God is loving, and he knows that our human tendency is to, is to keep on working and never stop. And so he makes a command and says, no, no, for your own good, you're going to sit down and stop working. Now remember, uh, the, the law was given to the people of Israel when God freed them from slavery in Egypt, right? It's one of the very first things that happens. God rescues the people from slavery in Egypt, he defeats their enemies. Remember crossing the Red Sea. And it's through this that he makes the Israelites his people. The Israelites become God's people through his act of salvation. And the first thing that he does is give them the law which shows them how to live as God's people. I've saved you. You're now my people. Now here's how you should live as my people. The, the, the people of Israel have been slaves for 400 years in Egypt. A life of slavery. They didn't get a day off. It was working all the time. And now, because God loves them, he says, I love you and I know what's good for you. You've been slave, slaves for 400 years. I'm going to command that for the good of yourselves, you're going to take a regular rest from work. It wasn't just one day a week. They had periods of, of, of every seven years, what was called the year of Jubilee, when, when there would be no harvest done that year. And sometimes we think that the law of the Old Testament uh, was restrictive and oppressive. Um, but this, the law was given uh, to provide the people with freedom, to, to be good for them. So, sometime I want to preach through Leviticus, and you'll all be bored. But you won't be, because it's amazing. The law is good because the law shows us what the lawgiver is like, and he is good. And the Sabbath actually is based on who God is in himself. It's, more, it's way older than just the law of Moses. It comes from creation. God creates the world over six days, and then on the seventh day, he rests. Does God need a rest? No, God doesn't get tired. But God rests so that his people will rest. Sabbath was intended to be a time of rest and reflection on a weekly basis when the people would cease from work and reflect on God. And that's how it worked. You would get rest, and a physical and mental rest from your work, which is restorative for your mind and your body. And as you rest, you would reflect on the fact that, well, I don't need to produce 24-7 because God is the one who provides for me. 
God is the one who provides. You wouldn't even be able to work if God didn't give you the, the ability, the physical and mental ability and skills to work in the job you have. So the purpose of this weekly pattern of Sabbath was rest and worship. Rest and looking to God. And it's rest and worship that we see Jesus teaching about in our passage today. This, this passage is focuses on two different Sabbaths, two different Sabbath days, that Saturday period. And we're going to look at them under two simple headings. True rest and true worship. True rest and true worship. So let's start with true rest. Uh, we find Jesus and his disciples on a Sabbath out in the countryside. Don't know what they're doing, where they're going, but they're, they're in the countryside and they're walking through a cornfield. And because they were hungry, the disciples just plucked up some corn, some heads of corn, and they rubbed them together in their hands to get the grain to come out, and then they ate the grain. Doesn't seem like a very nice kind of meal to me, but hey, they were hungry and that's what they did. And the Pharisees, who were actively spying on them, like how would you notice someone doing this? You're walking through, how would they notice someone doing this? Because they're spying on Jesus. And so they see this happening and they spring into action. And they accuse Jesus of breaking the law. Jesus, you are not perfectly keeping the Sabbath. Now what we need to understand is that Sabbath in Jesus' day had changed a lot from what I described Sabbath uh, had changed so much from what was given in the law of Moses. Working on the Sabbath required the death penalty. And so you can understand why people were really keen to understand what work meant. And so they came up with a list of rules and regulations. Things like you couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath, right? I love in the wintertime, Sunday afternoon, getting the fire lit. That's what I love. One of my Sabbath things is to rest in front of the fire. You couldn't prepare food. A Sabbath journey had to be less than 2,000 steps. My watch would just be going off, why are you so lazy today? If a house fell on somebody, which doesn't happen that much nowadays, but engineering wasn't that great back then, so houses collapse sometimes. If a house fell on somebody and the person was still alive, and they, you know, they were trapped but they weren't badly injured, you had to leave them there until the next day because to get them out of a house that had collapsed was work. Sabbath had become ridiculous. It was supposed to provide rest, but the Pharisees had turned it into work. This good gift that God had given them, uh, they had twisted and contorted into work. It took so much effort to make sure you weren't violating the rules. And instead of seeing God's word as life-giving and freedom-bringing, they used it to keep people shackled. Now, the Pharisees uh, didn't have any problem with the disciples taking corn from a field that wasn't theirs, right? Um, that wasn't stealing. Uh, a few years ago, um, a group of us were cycling through Germany, and there was loads of uh, you know, sweet corn growing. And for whatever reason, because we were hungry, uh, we just took some. Now, that's wrong. That's just stealing from a farmer, okay? Um, we were stealing. But the disciples weren't stealing, the law of Moses allowed for hungry travelers, for people in need, to take small amounts of grain or fruit or whatever is growing in someone else's feed, fields to, to meet their needs, okay? So the disciples aren't breaking the law because they're taking the grain. That's not, what the, that's not the issue the Pharisees had. The issue was that they had done this on the Sabbath. And, and there were 39 rules of, or 39 kind of categories of, of, uh, of work and they had broken three of these rules. By picking the corn, they were reaping, right? They were harvesting. That's work. Strike one. By, by rubbing, the, rubbing the grain together in their hands to get the grain out, they, that was threshing. That's rule number two. And, and then by doing all of this and then eating it, they were preparing food. 
So they had broken three Sabbath rules. And the Pharisees say, Jesus, we got you now. You are breaking the Sabbath, and you know what the punishment is for that. You're clearly not of God because you're breaking God's law. And what they were doing was putting the law above the needs of hungry people. Something which God never intended. They didn't understand the Old Testament, Hosea 6 verse 6, which says, I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. For the Pharisees, they desired the opposite. They desired all the sacrifices and the rituals. They didn't desire faithful love. They want Jesus to submit to their rules. They want Jesus under their law. They had made themselves lords of the Sabbath. Sometimes I have to admit, when I read stuff like this, I'm like, Jesus, how are you not losing it with these guys? Like, I would just lose it. Uh, thankfully, I'm not Jesus. And he is patient and gracious. Sometimes he, he does uh, rightly get angry. But here, he, he, he explains and he answers them. He doesn't owe them an explanation, but he uses this as an opportunity to teach. And he teaches them from the Bible. Listen to how he responds in verses 3 to 5. He says, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, the first thing he says is, Have you not read? which would be an insult to the, to the Pharisees because they're Pharisees. They're more, they know the Bible better than anyone. They're the scholars of the day. But Jesus is saying, you've read this, but you haven't really understood it. You might know what the Bible is saying, but you haven't grasped what God is saying through it. The law is given so that we can know the law giver, and you have misunderstood. You've put the law in place of the law giver. And he uses this passage from 1 Samuel chapter 21 to explain. David was the most revered king. He was kind of the best king of Israel. And at a time before he becomes king, he's being chased by Saul, who was the previous king that kind of disobeyed God, and God wanted to take the kingship away from him and give it to David. And Saul is chasing David and his men, and they're starving, and they're exhausted. And so with the priest's approval, they enter the tabernacle, and they eat the consecrated bread of the sanctuary. This is bread that there were 12 loaves set out in the, in the sanctuary that represented God's care and provision for the 12 tribes of Israel. One loaf for every bread. One loaf saying, I, God has provided for each of the 12 tribes. So 12 loaves. And and then when that bread was stale, it was replaced once a week. So when that bread was stale, the priest got to eat the stale bread when the new bread went on display. And according to the law, if you broke God's laws of the temple, you were putting your life at risk. There are many examples of this happening in the Old Testament where people are actually killed because they violate the temple, because it's violating God's holiness. But David was never punished by God for feeding his hungry men in this way. Nowhere in Scripture is David condemned for doing this. So how much more is the Son of God, the Lord of the Sabbath, okay to not follow the Sabbath rules? Jesus says, if you, if you don't condemn David, why would you condemn me? And actually, it's probably more emphatic the other way around for the Pharisees because of who David was. Jesus is saying, if you're condemning me for doing this, then you also need to condemn David. Something which would have been unthinkable for them. 
And what we need to understand is that these worship laws were symbolic of something greater that was to come. The law of the Sabbath was symbolic of something that was coming through Jesus. The symbolic rest of Sabbath was a, was a shadow, a, a model, a, a sign pointing forward to the eternal and true rest found in Jesus. Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, we, we see this almost every week now. We come to one of these passages. He's, he's showing and saying who he is. Pharisees say, why are you breaking the Sabbath? And Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Why are you breaking the law? I am Lord of the law. The law, including Sabbath rest, was pointing forward to something far, far better that is now fulfilled in Jesus. I, I, Jesus is so compassionate here, isn't he? And he speaks to them out of love. Because what he actually sees in them is, is actually them working so hard to find peace with God. They're working so hard to find rest. And Jesus says, I can give you the deep rest you're trying to work yourself into. You're trying to keep all these rules to find rest. It's a really sad thing to try and work yourself into rest, isn't it? I do it all the time, trying to work myself into a state of rest. And I need to be honest with you, um, I, haven't, I haven't applied this passage to my life very well at all. We work and we work and we try and we try, never satisfied, trying to be better, trying to be a good Christian, trying our hardest to make God approve of us. When Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Are you tired this morning? Are you, are you in need of rest? Are you weary? Are we trying to work ourselves into peace with God? St. Augustine said, my heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. And he understood, like we need to, that, that, that our souls will never find true rest until we find rest in the Lord Jesus. In Christ, we find rest because the ultimate work that we could never do has been done by him, right? So that means we can stop striving. We can stop trying to impress God. We can stop trying to work our way into peace with him. The last words Jesus spoke before he gave up his life and died on the cross were, it is finished. He didn't say, well, it's nearly done. He didn't say, well, this is a work in progress. He didn't say, well, I've started it, but you keep it going. He said, it is finished. He emphatically declared that the work of salvation is finished. And if Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, the Lord of all creation, finished the work, why do we think we have to add anything to it? Our hearts are restless until we find rest in Him. We can't work our way into peace with God. Jesus, the lawgiver, the owner of the law, the Lord of the law, doesn't demand that we keep the law. We've already failed to keep the law, haven't we? And to, to demand that we would have to obey it would keep us on that path to failure. We've already failed to obey the law. And like we saw, the penalty of failing to keep the law is death. But Jesus has come and fulfilled the law completely. And he's paid the, the penalty for our failure through his own death on the cross. 
Jesus fulfills everything that the law demanded, including keeping the Sabbath, so that we don't have to keep on working our way to God. So are you in need of rest this morning? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Instead of striving for self-righteousness or trying to be good or making yourself a better person, like I know we all do, or instead of beating ourselves up every time we feel, instead of all of that, we can just lay that down and rest in Jesus. When we feel, say, Lord, I'm not leaning on my own efforts. I'm leaning on your work that is done, that is finished. When we find ourselves overworking and trying to achieve goodness, Lord Jesus, I need to stop that because you finished the work. And when we trust in what he has done, we enter into true rest. That's what Hebrews 4 tells us. It tells us that, that Sabbath, real Sabbath, found in Jesus, is, is first of all, ceasing from working to make ourselves right with God. That's the first thing we do. We cease to stop trying to make ourselves right. And the second thing is then, when we, 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 by faith in Christ, we enter into the rest that he gives. And this rest isn't just the seventh day of the week. It's eternal Jesus has fulfilled the law so that we don't have to keep on working to get close to God. Listen, when we try to obey the law, we just find toil and failure. But when we try to obey the Son, we find rest for our souls. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And and, and you know what the amazing thing is to me is that well, maybe you're thinking, well, this is great. This is like this eternal thing. But what has that got to do with my life right now? Because I'm just exhausted. Well, the amazing thing is that when we find our true rest in Jesus, it gives us so much freedom in our lives here and now, right? There is so much freedom in the true rest of Jesus. Because when we find our true rest in Jesus, we can smash the idol of overworking. I confess that I am guilty of, working, of worshiping the idol of overwork. And many of us are. We don't rest because we don't trust God that he provides. And I do that to the detriment of my wife and my kids. And I do it to the detriment of my own health and relationship with God. And I think this is one of the most common idols in our culture. And, and, and overworking is usually, it's usually for two reasons. Uh, money an identity. Now, when I say money, I'm not talking about somebody working a job they don't like to put, just to put food on the table or pay the bills. I'm talking about when, when we work because we find our satisfaction in it. We keep working because it's what our identity comes from. Uh, maybe um, you find that even uh, when you do rest, you've still got work in your mind. <laughs> um, maybe you're working to achieve a lifestyle that you aspire to. Or you're, or you're working to maintain a lifestyle that you've already achieved. Maybe you're a bit like me, and when you do go on holiday, you take work with you. Or maybe you take work with you. <laughs> and when I say identity, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about self-fulfillment, the try, trying to find purpose and meaning in our work. And it's not just career work. It can be working at home, raising your kids. It can be uh, volunteering for the church and how you serve here. And when we try to find our identity and purpose in work, we just keep working and working, but find that it never satisfies. Because purpose and meaning and fulfillment can only be found in Jesus. And when we do find our satisfaction in Jesus, we can be satisfied with who we are, right? With what God has given us, with with the situation that he has put us in. 
I know that many of us find ourselves in life situations or jobs that don't satisfy. Maybe you're unsatisfied or, or unfulfilled with, with how your life has turned out. This was never the plan. Why am I here? But life situations and jobs were never meant to satisfy us. Trying to find satisfaction in anything but Jesus, whether it's work or career or even relationships, it's like trying to drive a massive lorry over a wee tiny rickety wooden footbridge. It's not meant to support that weight. It'll collapse. Only Jesus can give us true satisfaction. The satisfaction that we're created for, you're made for satisfaction, by the way. Satisfaction is a good thing. But the satisfaction that we're created for is much, much deeper than doing a good day's work or being able to buy a nice house because you've worked really hard your whole life or being able to retire early or doing a good job raising your kids. We are created to find satisfaction in the creator himself. This is why, actually, I think that one of the keys to, to good rest is getting outside in the creation. Yesterday, we were up the north coast, and I was just like, Haley, I haven't seen the sea in months. I'm just looking at the sea. Wow. I think, I think that being in creation is a really, this is not part of my sermon, but it's a really good way of resting because we're meant to find satisfaction in our creation as created beings. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. And we find it hard to work because we lack that trust in God and we have an over-dependence on ourselves. Just like the Pharisees. Not trusting the God behind the law, but, but trusting that we can work ourselves into rest. But in rest, when we do rest, we confess that we are not God and that He is. That we are dependent on Him. That we don't provide, He provides. And so when we rest... We say, God, you provide for me so I can rest in you. So when we find our rest in Jesus, at the end of the day, we can be satisfied. Not that we've ticked off everything on our to-do list, because chances are you won't have done that. But we can put the to-do list unfinished down, and we can be satisfied that Jesus has finished the work that we could never do. We can be restful and satisfied because we have peace with God. We can have when we have true rest in Jesus, we can rest in life. Do you see how that works? No matter how important we think our work may be, work isn't the most important thing in our lives. And this is incredibly liberating because remember that kind of pride and shame that I mentioned? We take pride in how well we're doing in work or how hard we work or, or there's shame in coming with not pursuing a career or whatever it may be. When we, when we find our fulfillment and rest in Jesus, it kind of gets rid of all that shame or rid of all that pride, doesn't it? One more thing about rest before we move on to our last section. The law gave Sabbath as a command, right? In the Old Testament, that was something that the people had to do. But now Jesus has fulfilled the law, and so Sabbath is no longer something we have to do. Now, does that mean that because we don't have to do it that we shouldn't take Sabbath rest? Absolutely not. Far from it. We should rest, not because we have to, but because through the finished work of Jesus we get to. This is me preaching to myself. It's okay to rest. It's good to rest. You were created for rest. The weekly rhythm of, of stop and work to rest and worship is a good, life-giving, restorative part of our walk with Jesus. It's surprising how many times throughout even Luke's gospel we see Jesus 
taking time off in the wilderness, going to be with the Father. Rest allows us to explore ourselves as image bearers. We're not machines, we're image bearers of God. And when we rest, we remember that we are created. We remember that we are needy. Our our value does not come from our productivity, but from being made in the image of God. That's our value. So are you tired this morning? Coming in here, bleary-eyed, exhausted, knowing that you have to do it all over again tomorrow. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am your true rest. And that leads us into this second, much shorter part, (laughs) true worship. In case anyone's looking at the time. In the second part of our passage, we see Jesus on another Sabbath. And this time he's in the synagogue, which is kind of like us, like a local church version of the Jewish system. And he's teaching. And there's a man there with a withered hand. Uh, this, and what's interesting is this man's life isn't in immediate danger. Okay, uh, He's got this withered hand. Uh, it means that he can't work or be a fully functioning member of society. Um, but his life isn't in immediate danger. And again, we see the Pharisees are, are spying on Jesus. When it says in verse 7 that they're watching him, that word literally means spying, like they're watching him really closely. The crazy thing is that they want to see Jesus perform a miracle, which they know he can do, right? They, they have no doubt that he can perform a miracle. They've seen him do it before. They want him to perform a miracle, so they have more ammunition against him. Their minds were already made up. And Jesus knows their thoughts. And listen to what happens in verses 8 to 10. I'll read it for us to remind us. He says, But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. It's kind of like Jesus inviting him up to the front, okay? Or into the middle. And Jesus said to them, that's the Pharisees, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, Uh, Around them all, he said to him, the man, he said, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Jesus asked the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? Um, For Jesus, if you're not doing good, you're doing evil. If you're not saving a life, you're destroying it. Jesus is essentially asking them why healing on the Sabbath would be rebellious. Healing is good. It alleviates suffering. It restores a body. It restores a life. All of us would want to be healed if we were sick, right? And Jesus is saying, what is it about your understanding of the Sabbath, a holy day, that prevents people from doing holy and good things to bless others? You see, the the, the scribes and the Pharisees seem to assume that their religious rules for worship are more important than the needs of people, just like we saw in the cornfields. And what we need to see here is that the litmus test of true worship versus false religion is our response to human need. The test of true worship is how we respond to those in need. Do you you get that? The, The test of true worship is how we respond to those in need. Not about how many church gatherings we go to, not about how many prayer meetings we attend or how, many, how often we come to our missional community family dinner. These things are really important and we should do those things. But if we don't value doing good to others, we are not truly worshiping God. Our response to the weakest and most vulnerable and most needy in society shows us what we really worship. 
And so the lesson for us is to prioritize people over religion. How many times have, how many times have we walked past somebody asking for money in the street? How many times have we done that on the way to church maybe? This is tough and challenging, but, but for Jesus, how we care or don't care about people shows what we really worship. You see, under the law, if somebody was dying, it was okay to save them on the Sabbath. Like if that man who, under the house that had collapsed was dying, it would be okay to pull him out and save him on the Sabbath. But this man wasn't dying. Jesus could have said to him, well, listen, meet me tomorrow and I'll heal you then when it's not the Sabbath anymore. By not healing this man, Jesus violates the Sabbath. Why does he do this? Because he's not bound by the law. He is led by love. He is not bound by law. He's led by love. And it's not saying that love or mercy are greater than the law, but rather that mercy was the point of the law to begin with. Jesus is fulfilling the law by doing what the law says he should have done. Doing good is true worship. Love for others is true worship. This has always been the case. This is the point of the law. It's how Jesus fulfills the law. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Micah in Micah chapter 6 says this. He says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Okay, so what he's saying is, how should I worship God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's saying, Lord, I want to worship you. 10,000 uh, sacrifices. Should I even give my own child to you? And he goes on. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Yahweh. What does Yahweh require of you but to do justice? Love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. God isn't that impressed with religion if we're not caring for those in need. God wants us to do justice, to be kind and merciful to others, to walk humbly with him. A Christian who is religious about church but doesn't help those in need isn't worshiping God. Jesus didn't let the rules and regulations about worship on the Sabbath stop him from meeting this man's need. He was led by love, and so should we be. A pastor, who, a pastor in America in, in, in D.C., Thabiti Anyabwali, says, we cannot pretend to worship Jesus if we refuse to help those in need. Let me say that again, because it's shocking, and it should shock us. We cannot pretend to worship Jesus if we refuse to help those in need. The principle Jesus gives us here is that not doing good is the same as doing evil. So, so, so not doing something good is, is exactly the same as doing something bad. Choosing not to save a life is the same as destroying a life. And sometimes we think that as Christians, our, our only job is to just preach the gospel, right? And, and not get involved too much with those in need. As if the gospel has nothing to say about those who are in need. For Jesus, they're intertwined. He is the Lord of worship, and He tells us what pleases Him. He takes the, the opportunity to heal a person in the middle of religious worship. So what does this tell us about true worship? 
when we truly worship God, will be propelled to do good and save lives. It's always time to do what's right. <laughs> and this is the example of Jesus here. And here's what I want to finish with. For, for, for doing good, healing this man, it came at a cost, right? In verse 11, we see that the Pharisees are, are filled with fury. They're scheming what they can do to Jesus. They're literally full of blind rage, right? That's what this word fury means. The red mist has descended. They're consumed with hatred. And they, they start planning how they can kill Jesus. Jesus, saving actions, puts his own life in danger. And just as Jesus healing this man put him in danger, his actions to bring us restoration and healing and salvation came at a great cost. This plotting to, by the Pharisees would, would ultimately lead to Jesus' death, right? We're getting ready in a couple of weeks to, to celebrate Palm Sunday and then the week leading up to Good Friday when Jesus dies and then his resurrection. He would be betrayed by one of his own friends, then arrested on false charges, and in a mock trial, be sentenced to death by crucifixion. And after a long torture, he would be nailed to a cross and die. That's what it cost Jesus to heal each and every one of us. That's what it cost him to bring healing and salvation for every one of us. But death was not the end. Somebody say, Amen. Jesus didn't stay dead. I love the way Finley puts it. I love how our kids, I love how our kids teach us how to worship Jesus. And hearing Leanne say that this morning was, made me cry. Um, but I love the way Finley puts it. He's just like, Jesus came back to life again. <laughs> like it's the most normal thing in the world. He says, Jesus came back to life again. On the third day after his death, Jesus walked out of the tomb. And here's the amazing thing. In his resurrection, he actually proves the ultimate and original intent and purpose of Sabbath. Because it's through his resurrection that he wins for us our eternal and true rest. And the early church knew this and modeled this. So they no longer gathered on the last day of the week, the Sabbath, but they changed that to gather for rest and worship on the first day of the week because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. The Lord of the Sabbath was raised on the first day of the week and so the weary church comes together for work, to worship and celebrate on the first day of the week. No longer does our rest come after our work is complete at the end of the week. Our rest comes at the beginning when Jesus' work is complete. See how that works? And then one day, when Jesus returns, all those who have died in Jesus are going to be resurrected just like him and enter into true rest. He actually says, I've been raised from the dead to, so you can enter into true rest. And you guys are actually going to do that. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? So if you're tired this morning, like I know we all are, you're weary, if you're in need of rest, Jesus says, come to me. Come to Jesus. Um, Lay your burdens down. That's what he's saying. He's saying, lay down your, your pride in your work ethic, your pride in your success. Lay down your shame in your failure. Find true rest in him. And then let's worship him in the way he has shown us by going out to others and doing good. Come Holy Spirit, let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you that you did not stay dead. Thank you that your work is finished, your victory is complete, and so we can enter into true rest. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray for all of us this morning who need rest, who are weary. Jesus, I want to pray for all of us who worship the idol of overwork, or all of us who are full of shame because work doesn't satisfy us or we don't think we're doing enough. Father, I pray you would free us Free us from a law of trying to work for rest in you. We're not good enough and we never can be, but you are, Lord, and you've given us your son. And because of you, because of your we find rest. We're clothed in your righteousness. Father, I pray as we come to your table, that you would really impress that on us. Allow us to lay down our burdens now again. Um, Father, I pray that our hearts wouldn't be cold to those in need. I pray that we would be known as a people in this community who go to those in need. Father, make us a body of people where um, anyone need knows they can come to us. Jesus, work that in our church. Will we be known not for the quality of our preaching, 